Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you are looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on right now, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. The Super Bowl's upon us. We got Brady. We got Mahomes. It's the Super Bowl of a lifetime. Place your bets there. Props, uh, Gatorade, whatever that may be, head to betonline.ag. It's the best. You want to bet NBA. You don't like betting games? Bet the props as well. I love the NBA props. BetOnline has it all. All right. It's the best in the business. They're the best in the business for a reason. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, betonline.ag. Sign up today. What's he listening to? Same song over and over. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. Uh, uh. <laughs> we got Bow Wow in the house. My man Lil Zane. <laughs> Lil Wayne, Sammy Saint took me Strike one, caught you by surprise Strike two, right before your eyes Bitch uh, three, this one's to the wall oh, Ain't no oh, fun like oh, a shame so, of so What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Podcast with your hosts, Alan Siles and Orlando Razo. If you're listening to us, you know where to find us, anywhere you find great podcasts. And while you're there, rate us. Give us five stars if you like us. If you don't like us, don't give us five stars. But at least let us know why. My guy, Orlando, how you doing? What do we got today? How we feeling? It's rainy out here in the Bay Area. I don't know how it is in Arizona. I still have a tea time for Saturday. I'm saying true. Because you, you, you get the tea time it. out. You get it out because you can always cancel, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they appreciate when you cancel. I call places, I cancel. They say, hey, thank you. A lot of places don't, a lot of people don't cancel. It's messed up. They just man. don't show up. It's a no show. show up. You ruin someone else because someone else could be wanting to get on the Precisely. course. Precisely. So, I mean, yeah, uh, props to you, man. That's good karma. There's some mm-hmm. good shit heading your way. Thank you. Uh, we already know it. The, the things are looking up. We got mm-hmm. a special show. We got yes. a special show. We got a very special guest. Special guest. He is the director of amateur scouting for the Boston Red Sox. He's a Bay Area guy, Paul Taboni. Excellent interview. Great dude all around. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see where he goes from here because he's still moving up the ladder and he's a young dude, uh, but he was excellent. I thought he was great. Yeah, I think, look, you don't got to be a player to be a grinder. The grinding uh, doesn't stop when you're you done. Be- we know that. We know that personally. The grind happens everywhere. And to see what he's doing, like you said, in his youth still comparatively, it's beautiful to see. And when you speak to the guy and everybody will be able to tell in the interview, you can see how he got to where he got to because he carries himself well. He knows what the heck he's talking about and he's personable. And you combine those things together, you're going to have a successful person. And that's what Paul is. Before we get into uh, our, our couple of topics for this show, I didn't even tell you I was going to do this uh, mm. in the pre-show meeting. Great. But we have our Super Bowl. 
Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. What did I say? What did I say? It's Tom. You can't, I should have just bet the game, but, and I I was watching, uh, I mean, I watched the tiger documentary, which is getting a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the, the, it was kind of scummy because they do make a dead guy out to be um, sort of an asshole. But at the same time, he also helped mold maybe the the most cerebral athletic assassin that we have ever seen yeah. in anything. So that being said, I watched another Tiger uh, called the Tiger Doc called the Tiger Slam. Brady and Tiger are the only athletes in history to have some sort of powers with their mind mm-hmm. that they can just make the opponent pucker up as if they're in third grade in the principal's office. Like I've never seen it. This tiger slam where he's going against Duvall, David Duvall and Phil. Uh, There was one other guy in the PGA championship. I'm forgetting what the fuck his name was, but these guys are just yipping putts from, from three feet, four feet out. And you just have no idea why, other than the fact it's, it's tiger using his mind powers. Yes. Brady's the same way. Mm-hmm. He makes other guys line up offsides. He makes other guys make mistakes. I have no idea. I can't explain it anymore, but you can't tell me that that's not a real thing of just having, making this, this power that just makes the opponent suck. No, you can't quantify it. Right. It's not, like everybody likes to say, it's not going to show up on the stat sheet, but it's a thing. And maybe right. it's just like a big balls thing, but it's a thing. It's a, it's a certain presence. And I don't, once again, I don't know what the hell it is. All I know is that a Sarah Padre is playing in the Super Bowl once again. It's been the 10th time for the 10th time. And it's, it's truly remarkable. But I just had to say that, that there you go. No, get it listeners out. Listeners out, out there. Like I've never oh. seen anyone. Well, hopefully we see someone that comes along and you're like, that's Brady and Tiger right there where they just right. make the opponent blow. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball news. No one made the hall of fame. No Not one. No, nobody made the hall of fame. Uh, it was a mess again. We literally just talked about this last week and how baseball just tends to trend for negative things. And a day that, should be a day where people are talking about baseball in a positive light. And I shouldn't say baseball. I should say major league baseball in a positive light. That's not the case because nobody gets in. There's drama with Kurt Schilling. He wants to withdraw his name. People are upset who didn't get in, who did get in. And it was just a mess. We know how I think both of us feel. I don't, did you see the Tom Verducci thing? Did you see the video yes. on MLB? I, I personally tweeted it out from the long. You ball. did. I think I actually saw it from you. I saw and it from you. Yes. I just said, this is the weirdest shit I've ever seen. I mean, it was, it got absolutely trashed on social media. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it was as if he was fighting the war of the worlds. Like this was, this was truly Man. the life or death situation of being the gatekeeper to the hall of fame. It was just so self-serving. Uh, and my whole thing is this. Here's the issue. They say in that video, integrity, sportsmanship, and character. And while they're saying it, if you watch the video, they specifically have Tom Verducci highlighted over Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. That's, that's the whole thing. But 
going down the list, I'm just going to grab a couple real quick. Uh, you have, you, you know, where, where do you want it? Where do you want to start? Let's start with Cap Anson, a known racist who refused to take the field when the opposing team had black players. He's in the Hall of Fame. Married a 13-year-old as well. Yes, you, you, you told me that as well. Kennesaw Mountain Landis, he's been on the show before, never for anything positive, because his name was removed from the MVP. So you remove his name for the MVP, but he's still in the Hall of Fame. How does that work? Uh, you have you have um, Whitey Ford, okay? Whitey Ford is a guy, another scumbag, if you will. Like the 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 list just goes on and on. And I, I don't really understand it, Orlando. Whitey Ford, the thing about him is when you talk about people's integrity or sportsmanship, whatever, that's when I have found, and I'm sure you have too, hey, Kurt Schilling is a racist, or I, should, I shouldn't say that. Kurt Schilling has very extreme views. That has nothing to do with what he did on the field. Same with Cap Anson. Same with any of these guys. Okay, so I'll give you a different one. Whitey Ford admitted to cheating several times, spoke about different techniques, and in a New York Times interview, said he approved of pitchers cheating because the money was too good to pass up. Damn, blame him. So for all you out there talking about, well, and, and we know what side you're on. Well, yeah, the racist, but they were good at baseball, let them in. I, to be honest, though, I agree with that take. If you're just letting everybody in. So I saw somebody tweet, one of the writers, they had everybody in. So they had Kurt Schilling and Barry and Roger Clemens. Thank you. If we're gonna let them, let it, let in some scummies, let them all in. But the idea of Tom Verducci having Kurt Schilling in and not Clemens and Bonds, that's the issue that I had with it. And it, it's just a mess. You can't, and I've heard so many good points about it being a museum as well as a hall of fame you can't just exclude history from a museum you need to find a way to get it done and stop because if you don't the hall of fame will never be a positive because right now it's not it's a negative nobody nobody even likes when it comes around at this point no because we know what the result's going to be it's going to be the writers putting themselves on this moral pedestal mm -hmm. should we get background checks of all the writers and just making sure they're clean like you i think Stephen a Stephen a had a uh, good point but you about have that. the like, fucking character right there like, there's some bad guys too and you you're the gatekeeper yeah come on that's the pot calling the kettle it's you a hypocritical ass yeah no that's it's it's bs like they once again it's every time baseball has this opportunity to do something awesome they just cannot, they just fall on their face every single time. And the fact that the greatest hitter, like take, just take a step back. Don't have any context. The greatest hitter of all time is not going to be recognized in any way. And hopefully next year, this is just like Dallas Braden always says, you know, it's a, it's a, 10-year public lashing which okay like if that's what it's going you you better get him in like he better be recognized at some point because it's just going to drive people away from the game there's an entire generation of fans that aren't seeing the people that the, the, the athletes that they grew the baseball players that they grew up watching 
an entire generation of fans that aren't seeing these people get into the hall of fame. They're actually been watching them get publicly lashed for the last, right. you know, 10 to 15 years. And it's bullshit. Like it really is bullshit that there's so much control with these old dudes. Mm-hmm. What other hall of fame? There's no, the NBA, what, who votes on the NBA and NFL? NBA no lets idea. everybody in. So the, I think the NFL is probably the Come closest on. The, yeah, the closest um, comparison, but comparison, but it's bad, man. And and look, Dallas Braden has a very optimistic look at it. Sixty percent. That's not. I don't. A whole lot. I don't see that many people turning over. Because don't don't forget. Then you have the blank ballots. What are we doing oh, with the blank gosh. ballots? They got mad at my boy Dan Lebetard. Shout out Dan Lebetard. He's the one who listening to him. While I was at my nine to five, freshly after finishing college, thinking, you know, it, it was all, it was all a wrap. The joy that they had on their show is what made me want to say, I'm not giving up on this thing. And if it wasn't for listening to Dan Levitard, we might not be speaking right now. So I got plenty of love for Dan. Dan got in trouble. And I think he might've gotten his vote revoked because he posted something or he like put it on the radio to let, allow the fans to help him make the decision. And the BBWAA, well, whatever it's called, the, the people that, that can't <laughs> that can't figure it out, they got they, he got lashed for that. But people can just leave empty ballots. Wouldn't you want the fans to pick before just throwing a ballot away? No, that's the equivalent of America and how America gets upset. I just saw this on Twitter too, and it's so true. They will throw away food, throw away food before wanting to give it away for free because, well, if you want it, I want to profit for it, but you were about to throw it away. That's the same thing. It's the same thing. The blank ballots are, uh, that is the worst thing. And I know I've seen some takes out there like, well, it's their vote. It's their vote. They shouldn't have a vote. If you, if you're not going to vote for anyone, then what the fuck is the point of you having the fucking vote? Like what, if you're not doing anything with it. So the whole point is, is that, there are, and then now, I mean, I've seen some r- ridiculous takes come out of this. Mm-hmm. There's one guy I saw, I don't even know where it was, but there's one guy that's now advocating for Mark Burley to get in. He's like, well, Burley should have at least got in. It's like, oh my God, right. this is this is what we're doing now. Like, this is what, instead of focusing on the real problem, we're like, well, at least you got to put, it's like, no, like this is, we need to nip this in the butt. We need to get this shit right. We need to let Gary Sheffield, we need to let Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, I'm even all for. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to give, and the other thing is, you don't have to have this full ceremony. It's not like you have to celebrate them. There's a pandemic anyway. So, right. like, you can just be like, these guys are in. We're going to maybe have a steroid section of the Hall of Fame. Honestly, I'm willing to compromise, okay? Just I'm an willing asterisk to- section in general. Actually, I don't know if I'd be down for the asterisk section. Like that would be a point of contention in our, in our negotiation. I'm willing to compromise, but to, don't put an asterisk there. I don't think there's an asterisk when everyone put a question was mark, on, a question mark, just some sort of punctuation, something like maybe a semicolon. Yes. Like a, just, just, yeah. just italicize it. Italicize it. Yeah. Yes. Or just have some section. Like, look, this is where everyone looked like Indomitian Sue for yes. 
15 years and it was yes. awesome. And mm. our, the base baseball's popularity was never higher. Mm-hmm. Everyone loved baseball. Baseball was awesome. We had the Wheaties boxes. We had McGuire. We had Sosa. It was amazing growing up in that era, watching baseball right. and to see these old dudes feces all over a certain era of baseball is just it's sad it's really sad right i agree i agree man so hopefully they can figure it out hopefully um we also had uh some some pretty sad news hank aaron rest in peace i don't know he was he was in his low 80s mid 80s um but the dude i mean you talk about guys that that don't get the some of the recognition throughout history 25 time all-star that's all you have to say that is so surreal to me 25 absurd Absurd. the video game yeah that's my mlb the show that's like yeah would you just never refresh your guy yeah you never refresh your guy you got a lot of time on your hands but right 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 it was definitely sad to to see him go man and to be honest this younger generation coming up, it's really important for them to know their history. And even someone my age at 30 could have known more about Hank Aaron. And, and, and I played the game. So when you think about these young players, regardless of what race they are, they should know these things. I, I'm not positive that I knew about him holding on to all the hateful letters that he had and how he used it in, in a way to you know, motivate himself. I, I'm not positive that I knew that stuff. So to hear it all and, you know, I know when you're young, you don't really want to watch documentaries and things like that. It helps, man. It helps because it shows that whatever path you're on, someone's been on it and someone's been on it and it was probably way harder, right? So to see what he had to go through and the class in which he kept through it all was just beautiful. And we know um, there's a lot of different asterisk in the game. Like you talk about Hank Aaron don't have none of them. He don't have none of them. This guy was an absolute stud and he was class personified in every, in every sense of the word. And, you know, work, the baseball world is going to miss him. And it, it was just, it was just tough. You know, 2020 was tough for multiple reasons. 2021 has kind of been rough as well, but you got to think that at the very least, as um, cliche as it sounds, he's in a better place and he did so much for the game. And I do think, in, on a positive note, when you think about my guy, Mookie Betts, Tim Anderson, um, you know, where the game is going and how it does seem like there's a concerted effort to get more African American players in the game, you do have to feel optimistic about it. And I think that would put a a smile on Hank Aaron's face. That's very well said. It's very well said, especially the part about learning more about him, Mm -hmm. like how this generation, and I'm sure we're in the majority where a lot of us didn't know what he had to go, like the the horrors really of of what he had to go through and Mm -hmm. staying mentally tough enough to, to battle through that and not, being able to compartmentalize that type of scrutiny mm-hmm. and to be able and go out there and just rake every night. I mean, he had 11 seasons over a hundred RBIs. 
And that's the thing, man. That's the thing. Not to take away anything from athletes now, because I'm not that old yet. But the whole idea of when I get between those lines, it's just me in the game. And you're talking about someone roasting you on Twitter. You talk about getting in between the lines and and being about the game. You have death threats. And you still got to go out there and perform. And you still go out there and do perform at a high level. That's really keeping it in between the lines. Not somebody was roasting you on Twitter and you clap back at them. That's not in between. It is, but there's, as a wise man once said, Meek Mill, there's levels to this. There's levels to this. And Hank Aaron was on a different, yes, was on a different level, on a different level. He really was. And just like the fact, bro, they they wrote an obituary when he was going to break the home run record. Because right. they just thought he was going to be assassinated. Right. And That's he wild. thought, he said he was scared when those two guys, which I've talked about before. I love when random fans just go onto the field. But when you see that highlight, you're not thinking like, oh, there's some pretty hostile times. In no, terms you of don't Rick. think that. But you, if you really look at him, he's like, I hope this dude don't, neither of them have a knife on him. Like, yeah, it was, he thought he was like, he was scared. He was legitimately right. scared. He said yes. that. He thought these guys are just coming out there to murder him. Right. I mean, that's, it's absolutely insane. Um, but man, what a, what a life he lived like a, a true, true role model in, in every sense of the word. And, and someone that I think that we should always reference, like mm-hmm. always come back to, to his character um, and, and to what exemplifies like what a, what a true baseball player should be. I agree. I agree, man. I think that's it. We got, uh, that's it. let's, let's get it's to a, our interview. It's a full interview. So don't worry y'all. You'll, you'll still hear plenty from us on this, on this, the rest of this episode. Don't, don't, so don't even trip. Oh yeah. Enjoy this one. Enjoy it. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week, man. Am I hungry? I cannot wait to fire up that BBQ Al with my Kansas city steaks and slap those things on there. Boy, are they good. My favorite steaks visit kansascitysteaks.com slash game day and save up to $25 on combos. Perfect for game day. Plus get free shipping with code believe B L E A V at checkout. Again, go to kansascitysteaks.com slash game day and use the code believe B L E A V at checkout for free shipping. All right. We now welcome on an extremely, extremely special guest. He is our first front office guest. And also we missed our one year anniversary of the show last week. So we're just going to say this is our one year anniversary show. Um, So very special for that matter. He's the director of amateur scouting. For the Boston Red Sox, he's a Bay Area guy. It's Paul Taboni. Paul, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. I uh, I appreciate it. it. Looks like you you have something good going, so I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. Well, thank you so much for the high praise. First of all, weird weird year this past this whole past year going on. What have the changes been like? First of all. Uh, we're concerned with you, with the health and safety of everyone, but what have some of the changes been like that you've seen in terms of traveling, in terms of scouting? I'm, I'm assuming it's just a lot more 
video conferencing now. Let's get right into it. Like, what are some of these changes now have you had to adjust with your job? Yeah, shoot. Um, man, it's funny thinking back to what was that early March. I was down in Fort Myers uh, at spring training. And um, I remember being at a game at the University of Miami. And, and one of my good buddies, who's the, the scouting director with the Blue Jays, came up to me. His name's Shane Farrell. And Shane's like, hey, are you guys doing anything for this this virus thing, whatever? And I was like, actually, you know, we just had a big meeting over at the complex with, you know, our, our head team doctor and our front office staff and, and uh, player development staff and everything. And I'm like, it's starting to sound a little more serious than uh, than, than it has these last couple of weeks. And he's like, yeah, man, he's like, I don't think this is good. And then like, you know, Monday hits and that was the last game we went to for the spring. So um that was what, like March 13th, somewhere around there. Um, and so then it was basically a scramble to uh, figure out how we were going to, you know, have coverage on all these high school and college players across the country. But not only that, it was helping many of our scouts overcome the, the learning curve of, of Zoom. And, and um, not only that, I think just mentally, like there, so many of our scouts have been programmed um, because they've done it the last 20 years. And that's, being at a ballpark every day and, and hopping on a plane or hopping in a rental car every day. And, and um, you know, that's, that's the, their sense of normalcy. And so taking them away from it, um, it, it became challenging to one, like drive our process forward and, and uh, create good process on all the prospects that we were covering, but two, just making sure that, that everyone was in a good mental state to be able to do their job well. So um, we did it. We took it a week at a time. Yeah. Like you referenced a lot of, uh, video conferencing, a lot of, uh, you know, late night, happy hours. And, um, you know, for the, the crummy hand, I think we were dealt that we've all been dealt. Uh, I think we, we did the most to, um, you know, make it as similar to, you know, having draft meetings in Fenway or, or being together at the park, uh, lining up as, as close as, as possible. And, and, uh, in reality, it probably wasn't all that similar, but, um, you know, we got through it and I think we, uh, uh, we did a good job and we came closer as a group. So, uh, we made the most of it. The, the zoom happy hours that there was like a three month span where those were, I mean, those were hot in the streets. Right. I'm glad to know that the, the Red Sox were taking advantage of, of the zoom happy hour game as well. I'm sure. Yeah. That, that you guys probably got a little too it. much. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. I'm sure you guys let's face it as well but there's also this like social dilemma when you're on it right and it's like who's mm -hmm. gonna be the first one to, to hop off and you feel pressured if, if you're the first one to hop off so what it turns into is a happy hour starts at eight and everyone's looking at their watches at like 11 30 after however many beers it's like oh gosh all right i'm throwing in the towel i'm getting off and then like you know 15 people jump off in the minute that, that follows so we had a lot of that going on <laughs> it's always yeah it's always a snowball I know sometimes you, you said that you guys were starting around eight, but typically it's the, all right, I think dinner's done. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take off. And then everyone's like, yeah, me too. I can smell it cooking now. And then it just, it just snowballs from there. Um, Paul, I wanted to ask you, you talked about the, the learning curve for some of the scouts when it comes to Zoom and, and things like that. When you look at the, the future, you know, the draft, We'll be here again before you know it. I think it's fairly normal for me, for instance, I got a scholarship to Temple and they didn't see me once. It was all video. And this is back in 2013, which it seems like a long time ago or 2011. 
are you prepared if i'm if i'm late to this let us know but are you prepared to draft people that you have not seen in person no i don't think we'll be at that point at least um at least for the the near future um you know there's something that 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 comes with seeing a player live i think that you can't capture on video now don't get me wrong there are certain things that are a lot easier to uh capture on video um how a catcher receives for instance like if you have center field footage on on a catcher receiving um you know you got a pretty good vantage point uh to to grade them out as a receiver but you know when you're sitting behind the plate with 50 other scouts and you're trying to you know take a peek at it it's a little bit more difficult so um now to the same degree i think being at like a you know a a high school game in in mississippi and and seeing a kid flying around the base pass or uh you know how he's shagging balls and batting practice and the kind of jumps he's getting and how he's chasing balls down in the gaps and all those things those unless we get to a spot where you know video systems are so comprehensive at at know high school and college fields all over the country uh you know i can't envision that happening um you know but maybe i could be off you know maybe like for certain positions um Mm -hmm. pitchers specifically um data has become such a big part of the game and and how we grade out many of these pitchers and hitters like uh i think we're we're farther along the the side of the spectrum where we can do more over video and we are taking you know, many of the variables that we value uh, are away from on-field looks, but at the same time, the on-field looks are the, the biggest driver of our process. Right. I mean, because even thinking about, I follow a lot of the different accounts just because it's just because it's fun about the different prospects coming up, like Youth Prospects, for instance, that's an account. And so Ben Badler, he usually posts guys that are already studs or on their way. Youth Prospects, they seem to post a little bit of everything and the bottom line is you give someone uh, i'm gonna make up a camera type here a 4k camera batting practice slow motion and music and and music in the background everyone looks like at least uh, a fifth rounder so i can tell that it would be hard to figure it out because you have no clue it's like yeah i mean he looks great now but what, what does he do when the when the game is actually happening so i could i can i can see why now you know like i said Temple ch- took a chance with me. I didn't lie. I could have said, yeah, I go about 5'10", 5'11". They would have been very um, surprised and not in a good way when, I, yes, when yeah. I showed up. But there's a lot of things that you just can't replicate unless you see them in person. So I, I hear you on that. Yeah, and you know what? Just the whole advent of like social media and, and how it's impacted the scouting game. I think about, you know, there, there are so many – benefits to you know being tipped off on a on a high school prospect in the middle of nowhere and you know who who knows if we would have been able to see that player otherwise but there's also some costs right like back in the day you could hide a player out and um i mean as recently in the nba i think like teams were hiding Giannis out overseas right like Mm -hmm. and so you just think of like okay if i come on to a really good prospect let's say in east texas and he's in a tiny little town like what are the chances that this guy's not going to be picked up uh, either by social media or, or by another team? It's just, uh, I think it's become increasingly unlikely as time has gone on because there have been so many more players in the game and, and, you know, pumping stuff out on these big social media accounts that teams follow. So uh, it's become trickier in that regard, but uh, don't get me wrong. There are benefits to it as well. Mm-hmm. 
you mentioned the the apps and and technology and and how that's kind of um, you know evolved and and been incorporated into the scouting game. There's that one flat ground app where I believe it was the Braves or the Rangers. They they saw some left hander throw 103 and the guy got signed like three days later. Now this guy could have sucked. Maybe he did suck. But are you guys using those those types of resources? where you're like, hey, like, you know, you tell your, um, you know, Southeast scout, like, hey, what, what are we doing? Like, how come we haven't seen this guy? He throws 104, look at him. Now, we don't know. He could be just spraying the ball all over the place. But, like, are you guys using those new resources and actually um, taking that into serious account when you're scouting? We're not actively doing it. Um, you know, if it comes across our one of our social media feeds and we, you know, send it to, to – you know, another person on our staff, like, Hey, this is kind of interesting. Maybe we should get another look on this guy type thing. But, you know, I can't speak to the the Braves or, or the Rangers process, but for us, I think in that type of setting, I think how we'd approach it is like, okay. Um, independent of like the velocity readings, like the, the way this guy's body moves, his arm speed, all these things, like they're interesting. Let's, let's try and get a look on this guy soon, see if it's real. And if it's not real, you know, what, we spent a hundred bucks and travel costs going to watch him play, like not the biggest deal, you know? Um, but the chance that we can't Comfort come on some upside by, um, you know, just running across this guy on social media by happenstance really like, yeah, that's, that's some risk we're taking in, in going and seeing the guy. So, um, so the, the Red Sox have uh, the Red Sox front office has like a group Twitter. Uh, you guys have like a group Twitter message where you'll just send send videos and highlights of, Hey, this guy, check out this guy. Like, ah, I don't know. So it's just, yeah, it's all the Red Sox front. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. I appreciate that. In reality though, I mean, what, honestly, a lot of what we do, like we, I don't know if you guys use Slack for your jobs, but we use Slack and Trello and these different communication platforms for them where, you know, if there's like a general feed, we're just pumping video out, like, or, or we break it up into regions. So like if, you know, our, our scouts on the West coast are in one thread on Slack. It's, Hey, this, this kid looks pretty interesting. Pump out the video. And then a scout usually says like, Hey, I've seen him four times. He's not very good. You're like, all right, just checking. <laughs> good talk. Good talk. Um, some, of those, some of those kids that just keep circulating. It's like, Hey, right. he looks good again. It's like, no, trust me. We already talked Buddy, about we've it. We've seen him three times. <laughs> like this guy's not it. He's off the board. Uh, so let's, I want to backtrack a little bit because you had humble beginnings. Uh, you know, we forgive you for being an SI, St. Ignatius guy. Um, but you really did have, you worked your way up. Absolutely. Like uh, you um, earned every bit of the title that you currently hold now. And I'm sure you're going to earn every title that you earn for, or that you get from here on out. Um, so just Tell us your story about how you got your foot in the door, how you got started, what piqued your interest in this and, and what you did um, to move up and, and how you've achieved this, this sort of success. You're fairly young too. So there's, there's still a road of progression with you. Um, but right now you have a pretty important title. So how did you get your foot in the door and what piqued your interest? Yeah, I think to start, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I think so much of it is, has been luck and, and being in the right place at the right time. Um, and it dates back to high school. Like when I, when I was in high school, uh, I basically 
long before that, actually growing up, my two big things where I love playing hoops and I love playing baseball. And so uh, when I was in high school, it started to become a little bit of a reality that I might have an opportunity to do uh, one of those two things in college. And um, I had had some opportunities um, on the East Coast to, to play both at a couple of schools. And I had a couple opportunities on the West Coast to just play one. And, you know, I, I don't know if you two were similar, but I, at, at 15, 16, 17 years old, I had like this irrational sense of confidence about me where it's like, you know, what was guiding my decision was essentially the question of like, which path lends to the highest likelihood of, of you know, impacting a pro team, be it in the MLB or in the NBA, which. I got cut from uh, the freshman team at Sarah basketball. So I, that, that was chosen <laughs> for me. Well, then baseball, maybe. Um, yeah. No, but um, for, so, you know, having that mindset, I think it was like, okay, um, how many guys look like me in the NBA, you know, six foot one and decent athletes, not great athletes, decent athletes, not many. Right. But how many guys look like that in MLB, like, you know, a decent amount. So um, I had an opportunity to go play at Cal. Uh, I did that, played there four years. Um, I ended up having three hip surgeries. And, uh, you know, I always joke about this, but uh, so I, I had something like that. I don't know what it was, like 50 total plate appearances in college or something. And uh, one of my best friends there was Marcus Simeon. And, and one of the things that we joke about to this day is like, he always laughs when I say like, ah, I had three hip surgeries. Like, that's why you didn't get any run. He's like, dude, we were both shortstops in the same recruiting class. Like, that's why you didn't get any run, <laughs> you know? And so, um, sorry, my computer's freaking out here. Can you guys see me? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're um, good. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on. Um, uh, but anyway, so, um, I had this realization, I think my senior year in college where it was like, okay, um, college is, is coming to an end. I always thought I was going to be playing pro ball. Pretty clear that I'm not going to be playing pro ball. Um, what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, I was interested in business, but I also wanted to, uh, you know, have some window of time to be able to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And um, to me, like going to graduate school, I liked going to school. I liked taking classes, that sort of thing. It, it kind of provided me with that, that period of time where I could figure out like, okay, this is what I wanted to do. So, Ended up going to graduate school at the University of Notre Dame. Um, I, early in my first year, I was like interviewing for a bunch of investment banking jobs and consulting jobs and these type jobs that through the interview process, I, I found out pretty quickly I, I, I didn't want to be doing them. So um, baseball kept pulling me back. Uh, I ended up taking a internship with the Oakland A's for three months in between my first and second years of, of graduate school. Uh, ended up graduating and then um, hopped on with the Red Sox as an intern in Boston. And then from there, I, I was a scout down in Texas uh, for a year. Uh, I was an area scout. And then I came back to the office uh, after a year. So back to Boston. Um, I was our assistant director of scouting for a couple of years, then became our, our director of scouting uh, a little more than a year ago. And really like the, the mindset I've had all the way along, um, and I think this was probably something that was just ingrained in me from a young age, from my parents and my siblings or, or my close friends, maybe too. But, you know, whatever job you're in, just make sure you're happy and, and you're doing everything you can to just dominate that job. And so um, I knew when I was an intern, I knew um, I loved evaluating players like baseball players, basketball players. You could throw me at the NBA combine for like, you know, 
six straight days for 15 hours and I would love it. And uh, so I knew I was gonna be happy in that job um, if I was a scout. Now I know that like the, it's not exactly the path usually a, an MBA takes uh, going from a front office to wanting to be an area scout, but I didn't really care because I knew I was gonna be happy. And uh, if I spent a lot of time down there with my wife, like probably gonna meet great people and, and um, I was gonna work my butt off because I love doing the job. Uh, didn't turn out that way. Um, came back up to Boston, but it, it was a great opportunity. And I knew I was going to love the job in Boston because I was going to be working around great people and, and doing a lot of what I loved, which was uh, evaluating players. And so I guess what I'm getting at is every step of the way, I, I you know, I'm just working to stay in the moment uh, and really enjoy uh, what I'm doing um, because I, I really am grateful and I know how quickly it, it, it can be taken from you. And so um, I think at that, you know, specific moment in time, every step along the way, I, I take some time to just ask myself, like, is this really what I've, you know, wanted to do? And, and um, am I going to bust my butt doing it? Because if not, there probably is someone that, that is. And um, at every point along the way, the, the answer has been yes to, to both those things. So um, hopefully that answers your question, Orlando. I know I, I uh, bounced around a little bit there so no we love it we love it you mentioned you got your your start in texas um it can be we we know that scouting world is is very small like i i remember it was always just the same dudes like going to every game in the bay area i recognize that guy oh, that guy's you know with the twins he's with the d-backs whatever so it's a very small community it's almost like the the kids the cool kids at the lunch table so when you're first getting started are you intimidated to like go up and and talk to them and kind of get into this little uh country club they got going on or are you just kind of laying back what's the strategy in terms of kind of to getting in with the cool kids with the lunch table you're speaking to the scouts yeah like in that network of right uh, yeah yeah i think um i mean two big things that um I consciously had in my mind going down there is one like just carrying yourself with a sense of humility like knowing that I hadn't done shit in the game to that point and there were scouts down there that had signed you know 25 big league players it's like I'm not going to come in here and and um, you know be be running my mouth or anything not that I would uh, anyway but um, but also balancing that with the fact that like hey um you still want to be professional and, and be yourself. And, and when you get to the park and, you know, I love meeting people and creating relationships. So go up and introduce yourself and say hi. And, and when you see them again, like say hi again. And um, it wasn't just the scouts either, you know, like Augie Garrido was, I covered the university of Texas and he was at the university of Texas. And uh, I had a really good lesson early on where uh, the joke amongst the scouts was like, he wasn't talking to any scout, you know, and, I could easily sat there and said like, Hey, I'm not going to go introduce myself to, to Aki Garrido. Right. But, um, I went up there the first day and, uh, said hello. And he's like, Hey, where are you from? I told him I was from San Francisco. He's from the Bay area. Um, spent a lot of time in North beach and, and different restaurants in, in North beach and worked there. And it just, he had some incredible, incredible stories. And, uh, he took a liking to me, I think, because he'd probably spent some time down there with, people being afraid to come up to him and, and say hello. And then he probably took an additional liking to, to me from being from the Bay area, but um, it kind of just goes back to the point, like being yourself and, and um, saying hello, like they're just 
two very, very simple things that I think go a long way to uh, creating relationships with people, which at the end of the day, I think that's it's such an important part of, of the game and in life in general. Yeah, you're going back after that interaction with Augie Garrido, you're like going back to the scouts, like doing the Sam Cassell big balls thing, <laughs> just running back to behind home plate. Yeah. Everyone's there's a, there's celebrating a, you. Yeah, there's a line behind you. You're like, all right, you guys can talk to him now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I broke the ice. Um, so I had a basic, I think a, I'll call it a two part question. And the first part of it is, when you think about, you know, you you brought up Slack and, you know, kind of nine to five jobs. And with that being said, a lot of it is with any job, really metrics of success. When you look at scouting and the fact that, let's be honest, scouting is almost a microcosm of baseball in that you're probably going to miss more than you hit. That's that's why there's so many draft picks. The first question is, when you get into the scouting world, is there someone that says to you, hey, don't feel bad if you scout someone that doesn't pan out. It, it, it just happens. And the second part of it is because of that, you know, and how you were able to grow in your job, what are considered the metrics of success? Is it just a matter of how you go about the process and, hey, Sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. Or do you have to hit sometimes in order for them to think, okay, he knows what he's doing. You can't, you can't miss on everyone. So I'm a little interested about that. You miss on everyone. That is, that's a that's a great question and one that if you, I'm the latter. Uh, if you find the answer to, like, I'm all ears because I think it's something <laughs> we all struggle with. And yeah, um, we'll help you out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. seriously. Well, yeah, we'll it. help you out. I need sure. it. Um, the reason why it's so difficult, I think, is. Uh, because you can, I mean, you can evaluate a player perfectly, right? And because of the powers that that be that are also part of the process, like we, we may not consider that player two rounds below where you have them slotted, right? Mm-hmm. And um, to the same token, right? Like uh, we ask ourselves quite frequently, like, okay, how do we evaluate the performance of our scouts? And uh, should we be essentially giving everyone the same amount of praise as we would um, when they're really on a player that ends up panning out um, in the situation where they're keeping us from, from considering a player that is going to go really good in the draft. And um, you know, they have them after the 10th round, right. That should be something that we're basically uh, putting a feather in their cap because they're, they're uh, helping us avoid a landmine. Right. Um, But one of the reasons we talk about it so frequently is because it's not often that we have to replace scouts on our own staff, right? Like our, many of our scouts have gotten promotions over the years and left to other clubs. And, and then we're in a position to either promote someone and backfill from another club or promote one of our own interns or, or um, someone looking to get into the game. Um, when we look to, to uh, poach a scout from another club, it's virtually impossible to, um, know the job that they are doing uh, without having some sort of point of contact with someone that has worked alongside them, right, or her. So uh, what I'm getting at, I think, is for me, I'm big on betting on the person and doing a ton of work to figure out, like, okay, are they a really good person? Um, are they empowered to do this job? Are they going to work their butt off? Um and then farther down the line is like, okay, do they have this this feel to evaluate where um, 
they're really going to lead us to, to the right players. Because I think so much of that can be nurtured if you can provide good structure around a scout and get them onto a team, he and him or her onto a team where uh, you're really providing them with a uh, just a, a, a good setting to grow and develop. Um, because I think we've gotten away from that uh, within the industry a little bit where like not as much time has been placed towards uh growing and empowering people. We just kind of think like, hey, you either have this feeling to, or the sense of, of being a good evaluator, or you don't. I think that's far, far from the truth. Yeah, That's a very interesting answer of, of almost, it goes into like what Alan said, how the scouting world and obviously just the baseball world in general are intertwined of, we got to, similar to the way we got to develop our minor leaguers, develop our young guys, we got to develop our scouts the same way. So that's, it's very interesting, that perspective. I want to take a pivot here. Have you ever, and you hear it all the time, run out to your position, um, don't like do the full on sprint, because then you kind of just look like a jackass. But have you ever immediately just taken someone, you don't have, tell me a story, you don't have to say the name, but tell me a story of someone that did something stupid that was probably really talented and was going to get drafted high where you're just like, nope, fuck that. He's off the board. Oh, man. Um, you know, honestly, it, it doesn't happen that often. When it does happen, I think it comes from like intel from from like a head coach in college baseball, for instance, that you really trust um, that is like, hey, stay away from this type. But it, that that rarely 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 happens and usually not to turn this dark but usually it's like some some personal stuff where you're like ah like i you know because i, I think about the on-field stuff right and like either whether it's spreading out to the position or, or arguing with an umpire and uh you know whatever it might be i think we have to like stay present with the line of thought that like just as we might be running into someone on their best day, like there's a good shot that we might be running into someone on their worst day. And, and do we want to evaluate, uh, eliminate them from our process just based on this one look? Like, you know, my ego isn't big enough to like, hey, say like, okay, our other three or four scouts um, saw this this player really good. Like, let's consider him, even though I saw him F you and an umpire. And, you, know, and like, you never know what's happening in someone's personal life too, on that day, on that single day. It's a great point. And especially because like with so many professional athletes, like it, I think it's really easy um, for you to fall into the line of thought that they just grew up in, in similar settings as you may have. And, and uh, they're probably going to work through all this stuff the same way you would. And, and I also think that's far from the truth. Right. And um, um, so Orlando, I wish I had a, a good, good story for you um, as it relates to that, but um I don't think I do, man. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. That's a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing. That's good. That that makes sure that you guys are doing your job correctly. Yeah. So that is, um, yeah. I mean, it, you hear about it all the time, but that's funny that it's it's pretty much just like draft day with Kevin Costner, where you're just like, hey, <laughs> yeah, does exactly. anyone attend this guy's birthday party? You're just asking the college coach. That, I will so. I will tell you, like, the other end of the spectrum, I think, happens far more, right? Where, like, you see a kid do something where you're like, wow, like, that is that is something that is super impressive that I've never seen before. And, and uh, like, I'm, I'm drawn to this kid now, whether it's logical <laughs> or not, you know, so. Was yeah. that, was that kind of how, and, and, 
Alan, feel free to chime in here. I'm, I'm sorry if I, if, if I just interrupted you, but is that kind of how we go back to the last year's draft, Nick York, he was not rated as probably a first round pick on a lot of draft boards, but he was your guy's guy. Like that's who you wanted. Was there a particular point where you guys were just, yep, he, that's him right there. He's our guy. Uh, maybe it could have just been the fact he played in the WCAL. Um, but it, teams do that, right? Like they just have their guys. They don't give a shit about, you know, the draft boards and all that. Is that kind of how they, they do their scouting where they, they look for one little thing. And then once they see that once that their mind's pretty much made up. Yeah. So I think the, it, I, to answer your question, I do think teams do that. Um, I also think that we're probably not a team that does that um, just because in the last spring was different, but uh, the whole scouting season is so fluid, right? Like if we were to say in March that Nick's our guy and then, um, you know, in May, some outfielder at the, you know, at Creighton just hit his 50th homer, right? Like that guy's probably our guy, you know? Yeah. So, um, but uh, just thinking back to Nick, like I, th what I was getting at before, I think like he fits a lot of this where there were so many points along the way where you're trying to figure him out as a player. And then he would do things either from a playing perspective or just being around him. You get to really know him as a kid or you talk to his coaches or, you know, the athletic director at his school and they start telling you these stories and you're like, God, if this stuff is true, like um, this, this kid's a special kid. And um, next, he's just the type of kid that I think like, you know, early on from when he was five years old, he was riding his bike to the, the park with his two brothers and they were throwing BP to each other for 15 hours, you know, it's so, like, they don't care about um, really anything outside of baseball. And so he's got, we knew he had this natural passion to play, right? But then you start to dig a little bit more and, um, you know, he has a little bit of this like Tom Brady complex where um, he'll hold up like a, a line a, a, when you're taking ground balls in the infield, he'll hold up a line for like 10 minutes and won't get out of the, the first place in line because he wants to get it like absolutely perfect, you know, and I totally understand that like that can be frowned upon and, and you can say like, oh, shoot, like, I don't know if that's the best way to go about your business, but at the same time, I think there's like some deep underlying passion for the game, but more importantly, like want to be perfect and great um, that I think is really tough to identify in players. And I think it plays, uh, you know, once you get around uh, players in the big leagues that so many of them carry that trait. Um, and then there was just, there were so many ancillary pieces where, you know, like I remember hitting with them, uh, I think it was on Christmas Eve and, uh, uh, I asked him if he wanted to get something to eat after or something. This was, you know, before this was during his draft year. And he's like, man, I would love to, uh, but I can't, I got to work. And I'm like, where are you working? And he's like, oh, I work till the, uh, I work uh, at the Christmas tree lot until midnight. And then I do my homework and then I get up at seven and go work out. And I'm like, gosh, this guy's got like the, the routine and the discipline and just the, the blue collar um, work ethic that, that, that we want. So um He's a special player, but he's a he's a really, really special kid. And, and to answer your question, Orlando, yeah, the WCAL thing, like we probably had him in the fifth round, but the fact that he played in the WCAL, then he's, he's picked seven. Immediately 17. shoots up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that does <laughs> yeah. not surprise me. So staying on, you know, the recent draft picks, another guy who had a bit more um, 
cachet going into the draft blaze jordan now you know i'm from the bay area would have loved to see him in the black and orange didn't happen but it was really interesting you could make the argument this was one of the biggest viral players since bryce harper i mean he was everywhere really early and it ended up hurting him in a way because what translated uh in game like we talk about wasn't what the scout saw when he was 16 and the idea of someone plateauing at 18 is kind of wild to me so i'm sitting there watching the draft and i think he went in the third round i think you guys got him in the third round what do you did you feel the same way like this kid's definitely got potential we don't know what other people are talking about i I know there have been questions questions about is he going to be able to play third and first because he might not be a pure uh, you know hit well enough to be that pure first baseman again i'm talking like this in our first baseman's brandon belt so i'm not going to talk about hitting but what do you expect from blaze johnson what did you see or Blaze Jordan, I think his name is. What did you see? And uh, yeah, did you think that he dropped a little bit or was he always on your board? So another great question. I think, uh, you know, there's this idea of prospect fatigue, right? Where like Mm -hmm. you see a kid for so long and you're like, you know, initially you're you're on this huge high because you're like, wow, this kid's like Blaze, like 12 years old, hitting balls out at at Globe Life um, to center field. You're like, Right. This kid is an absolute freak of nature, right? And then you're around him for three more years. And after three years, he's 15. And like, <laughs> you you have to put yourself in the presence of mind that like, he, he still can't drive yet, you know? And he's right. a freshman in high school. Right. So he has, Isn't he hitting it the ball 700 feet? Like, what, <laughs> yeah, what's going right. on here? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, even, even a couple years later, right? He's supposed to be a, a junior in high school. Like he still shouldn't be draft eligible. And then he makes himself draft, draft eligible by, by um, you know, accelerating the, the curriculum and, and becoming a senior and reclassifying. And so um, I think a really important thing for us as it related to Blaze was one, like just where the makeup was because we knew he was really, really gifted or he is really, really gifted, right? But um, how has this kind of this, crazy stature and social media and everything that comes with it how has it affected him as a person and how does he handle it and we're really really comfortable with that but I think the more important piece uh, is I think as scouts one of the most challenging things to do is be conscious of what maybe you aren't very good at evaluating and one of the things that we really really struggle with evaluating um, is uh, younger kids so like if if the average kid is 18 and a half years old when he enters the draft out of high school, uh, if we have Blaze who's 17 and a half years old, um, how do we evaluate? Uh, how, how do we evaluate that kid? And are we maybe undervaluing them or, or overvaluing them? And I think consensus has been, you know, through the past we've typically undervalued those kids because what ends up happening is we look at them in the, the baseball versions of the McDonald's All-American game, right? And they're playing against kids a year older and a year and a half older. And they might be, you know, they'll have spots where they're really performing well, but then they go through stretches where they're really struggling because they're younger and, you know, they might be less emotionally mature and, and um, haven't grown into their bodies fully or aren't fully coordinated. And, um, and so I think what the group, our, our scouting group and our analytics group did a really good job with just getting ourselves in the right spot where we, 
we had this understanding of what we were good at evaluating and maybe what we weren't good at evaluating. And although we're going to assume a good amount of risk by, you know, drafting a, a player like Blaze Jordan, um, lining it up to the alternative of someone else at, at pick 89 in the third round. Um, like I love the value that, that we got there um, relative to, to, you know, the other players on the board. Um, and that's, you know, I think a, been a goal of ours. It's, it's really capturing value throughout the whole draft and just figuring out like, hey, um, all these kids are going to have different risk profiles and different upside and the rest of it. But if we can do our best to just capture value in the moment um, and, and remove as, as much of the bias as we can, I think in the long run, we're going we're gonna to do a really good job. Did, did this creep in your mind at all in the draft room or in the war room, as they call? Um, ALCS against the Yankees, uh, number four hitter. Do you want, you know, hopefully capacity crowd, given, given Rona circumstances? Do you want batting force for you? Do you want a guy named Blaze Jordan with the Fenway crowd going nuts or Johnny uh, Smith in the four hole? Like, was that part of the conversation are you, are you asking them are you asking him was blaze's name a part of the draft process one million percent <laughs> well especially like you brought up the yankees right like maybe i don't even have to answer this question you can just look at our past but we drafted a kid named york in the first round and then one of our top prospects right now is jeter downs oh and yeah so i think right. like We've been all in on the names, I think, from the get-go. So go. that's why we're drafting yep. these players. Just Posada's next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to just go. You guys are exacting your revenge. That's right. awesome. Um, I have a couple of rapid fire. I don't know, Alan, if you have anything else, we'll, we'll wind down. We won't take yeah, too much. Yeah, I think I got, I got one more, but I'm going okay. to that. Okay, go ahead, because I got some rapid fire that gotcha. I want to throw after gotcha, I got gotcha. here. So, yeah, I think my last question is, this past draft only had five rounds and I've been very open um, and on the record, this would be the record that we're on right now about the fact that especially from someone from a college baseball player that didn't get drafted, it doesn't really make sense that I'm advocating to have less rounds, but that's kind of what I do. And I feel like if you look at the numbers for the, and we talked about the batting average and you look at the numbers for how many, players that don't make it what would be the argument if you're in the camp of keeping the the 40 rounds what would be the argument to have compared to the other pro sports of having 40 rounds international prospects american free agents that coming in every single year what 30 teams times 40 times whoever international you bring in times the free agents, the kids that, you know, uh, don't get drafted out of college that do sign. Doesn't it, from the outside looking in, people probably think that's a lot of people. That's a lot of players. What would be the argument for why that many or those many players are needed? Or the argument that maybe five rounds isn't enough, but maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20. But yeah, maybe we don't need 40 rounds. I'm kind of, uh, I'm very intrigued as to where you fall on that uh, spectrum. Yeah, well, so I think the first first thing here is I think reasonable people can disagree on this topic. Um, mm -hmm. I, in my opinion, five rounds is definitely not enough. Um, 
I mentioned Marcus Simeon earlier, like he, he was a, a sixth rounder out of Cal and like ended up finishing third in the MVP a couple of years ago. Um, and there are countless examples like that. Mookie was a fifth rounder, so he would have just made the cut, right? Um, but I also think that you're on to something that we don't need 40, right? And one of the things I think to keep in mind too is when we have 40 rounds, it's not like we just draft and sign 40 players. We draft 40 players, right? Um, but we're probably only signing 20 of them, right? And so when we get to the spot, um, you know, in the in the 25th round, um, it's not always the case that we're just taking the best player available on the board. Um, and I know that sounds pretty counterintuitive, but um, yeah, somewhere in between, you know, five and 40 is probably the right answer. My preference would be a little bit closer to 40 than five, but uh, we just need to keep it, I think, at a minimum 16 rounds so the Orlando Razo so the world can get drafted coming That's down right. the line. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, a follow-up to that is I need you to just answer whether it's a myth or not, or, or, or you don't have to answer. There is a, not a rumor, but there was always a belief that there are such things, and this is what you can do when you have 40 rounds. There are such things as favor picks. Oh, this, this dude's dope. Johnny Manziel. Brother in the system. Or this coach gives us a lot of good players. This guy probably isn't what we would typically get, but let's keep this coach happy. Does it happen or does it not happen? It happens. Okay. I knew it. I knew it. I can't wait to tell all my other buddies I didn't get drafted. I told you if it wasn't for those favor picks, we would have been in there. I cannot wait well, for that. You know, it's funny too, is like oftentimes the favor picks, like it, they aren't like, hey, um, you know, it's John Smith's son or John mm. Smith's brother or whatever. Um, but oftentimes it's players that we really, really like um, as players. And we've grown really close to as, as kids and, and people throughout the process. And uh, so we kind of want to be able to draft them and say, Hey, you know, we drafted you because we, we love the way you work. And, you know, oftentimes it's because high school players aren't signable. Mm -hmm. They're asking for a couple million dollars or something and we can't pay them a couple right. million dollars at that point. But it also creates nightmares because uh, as an example, we drafted Bregman like in the 30 something round out of high school. Cause we loved him as a player, loved him as a kid. Um, but then three years later, you know, Red Sox fans are, hitting you up on Twitter like how could you not sign this guy like oh it's like guys you get right. you know it doesn't exactly work like that you know yeah he did go to college guys it's a little, yeah. it's a little he's not the same guy he was in high school I can guarantee you that much yeah wait exactly. so do you have like a, a separate draft board uh, separate draft board like the favor pick draft board where you just got like a bunch of celebrities you got like the Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner like hey Adam Levine like we he's on the board like right, we may right. have to take him you know, um, we don't, we don't, but um, it is interesting. We have taken some pretty interesting picks and these actually aren't quote unquote favorite picks, but we we've had some interesting, you mentioned football players like Heisman candidates. We've taken some pretty good football players over the years. Um, do, do you guys know the name Jeff Driscoll? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jeff Driscoll. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a number of them, Dick Thompson, there, there's been a, a number of them that have been. Ended up oh being yeah. Like, Shaq Thompson played like uh, one season of rookie ball, right? Yeah. I mean, he didn't have the, exactly the results that we, he wanted, but nonetheless, it's still pretty cool that um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, starting middle yeah. linebacker for the Panthers. Uh, before we uh, wind down, I do have some, so a little rapid 
fire. What's your favorite place to travel to other than the Bay Area um, for scouting, whether, you know, it could be because of the food, because uh, of the drinks, because of the pageantry of the city. Um, where's your favorite place to travel? And if you have a cool travel story, um, feel free to let that one rip. Oh, man. Um, I think my two favorite spots are probably Austin and New Orleans. Um have some funny travel stories, mainly as it relates to like, I think a lot of the sports teams um, stay at the same hotels when they're on the road. And so, uh, you know, like running into like Shaq in the weight room, I ran into uh, uh, like Charles Barkley in an elevator, um, stuff like that. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Uh, it's probably worth taking up another 10 minutes of your time with the story. Do you, what's the interaction like? Is it just kind of like a fist bump then, then I'm on my way? Or is it kind of, you don't want to be the, the fanboy type, even though you're in the presence of greatness, but what, what's kind of the game plan in terms of saying hi, maybe introducing yourself? Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no real game plan for me. I will say with Shaq, it was a little bit different just because like I was, my jaw was on the floor. Like, you know, it's one thing if you run into Shaq, but just, how freaking big he is and you walk mm-hmm. into the weight room you're like oh my gosh like I was like just in awe looking at him I felt like an idiot because he probably gets it all the time but right um but yeah no I wasn't gonna try and go get Shaq's business card yeah I mean you just roll up hey hey can you spot me can you spot me real quick <laughs> yeah. you guys are, yeah, yeah you know any baseball prospects yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any baseball prospects in your area Alan you got anything else I guess I did come up with another question. This is my first time, you know, I'm very open about being a scorned you know, former college baseball player that didn't get the call. Okay. So I hit, my question is how much, if at all, does batting average matter at this point? Because at Kenyatta, I hit 419. Uh, okay. At Temple, you know, I was 296, right? I, we'll, we'll round up here. And you hear those stories every year from guys that lead the nation in batting average and don't get the call. So if, if there's a young Allen listening right now, especially now with launch angle and, and, and all those things, how much does that even come into play when you're scouting a kid, whether it's in high school or in college, just strictly back in the day, hey, hit 300, you're going to the Hall of Fame. Not so fast. H- how would you... How would you talk about that? And what does, how much does it really matter? Are you just asking uh, if they had him on the draft board? <laughs> <laughs> I know I was, guys... I'm just asking. I'm, I'm, inclined to say, I'm inclined to say it doesn't matter because I hit, I think I hit 130 in college. And so let's just, let's toss that out and, and to learn to value some other. No, no, no. But in all seriousness, <laughs> yeah, I think it, it matters to some degree. I, um, to what degree, um, I think that's up for debate, you know, right. and, um, and especially as you dissect the different levels that maybe, um, you know, you might be evaluating, right? Like in, in the different leagues they're playing in and, um, you know, a high schooler in a crummy league in, in North Dakota hitting 500, um, right. probably not really caring, right? Mm-hmm. But if there's a kid hitting 500 at LSU, it probably means right. something. So, right. um, yeah, no, I think it'll always be part of the game. And even if it's like a, a quote unquote, like not just not a huge driver of like predictive value, right? Um, in terms of being great, which I think that's arguable, uh, it can still be a huge part of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love saying like, man, this guy's got a shot to be a, a 300 hitter, right? Like that means something. Yeah. You're you're getting something across when you say that. Um, 
this push to to like cancel it or eliminate it. Um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not totally on board with that. Um, Good. So. Good. That's I the thing. Like, that. if a guy's hitting 300, what are you going to say? Like, he sucks. Like, is that really going to be the right. argument that that you come up with? Like, here's why this 300 hitter sucks. Like, oh, let me let me let me hear that, right. buddy, because right. uh, I don't think that's true. That's it, what kind of yeah. It defy a lot of these new stats, like a lot of them kind of defy common sense, which I think goes back to your hiring process where you got to get guys that have this sense of awareness to not just be robots and to use some sort of feel and combining, um, you know, their, their gut feeling and, and what they see. And then as well as implementing the technology and, you know, how hard they hit the ball and all that stuff, but it's a combination of everything. And, and right. That's gotta be what you, uh, what, what the best scouts can do, right. Is, is combine all of those metrics and then form their own evaluation from it. Right. Yeah. It, it feels like, it feels like the batting average is, is, is never a negative, but it's not enough by itself. And you can use it in a way of if a kid junior year doesn't make a lot of contact, but he hits moonshots or something. Hey, we'd like to see his batting average go up 20 to 50 points. We'd like to see it. So it seems like it's something that can be used as like a, a stick for kids. At the end of the day, it's what potential do you have? If you see a kid who's hitting 350, but you know, there's soft liners, ground balls and, he plays, he's got one position. It's not going to be enough, but it can't, it feels like it can help kids cases, but it's not, it's not going to be the, yo, you hit 300. We got some, we got somewhere for you. It's not, that's not going to be the case. Yeah. It's, it's once again, like, I think it's just a, a piece to the puzzle. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try and value it appropriately and, and consistently across the board and um, see how it plays out from there. Mm-hmm. But getting someone that can hit 300 in the big leagues, like that ain't easy. You know, they don't just grow on trees. That's true. That's true. Well, Paul, this has been awesome. You're you're obviously welcome on anytime. So we really appreciate you taking time. I know you got some some Jack Leiter video to watch, um, some Kumar video to watch. So we'll let you go. But, uh, you know, stay safe, stay healthy. And, uh, you know, congrats on the six month old, I should say. Right. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on, too. This was fun. And, um, man, I'll be following you guys closely as as uh, we go forward. And, and best of luck. And, and hopefully you guys uh, continue to kill it going forward. Thanks a lot, Paul. Appreciate the time. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you on before the draft. We'll try and get some, yes. some inside scoops, yes. some inside info. Okay. I'm going to need some info from you guys who you take at pick four. Oh, oh please. Yeah. Oh, I got oh, you. I'm, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you need me to write some reports. Yeah, man. (laughs) All right, right, take care. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.